As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today we're reacting to yet another double-digit loss for the Broncos. We're talking about what you want to hear today, ladies and gentlemen, taking your questions in the Mile High Mailbag. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Oh man, here we are again. Another loss. We're going to exercise those demons though. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, everybody. Presented by Mile High Huddle. Time to uh, drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, is Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, how are you coping with a fifth straight loss from the Broncos? Well, not too well. Um, I think at halftime, I, I was not feeling so great. I had a halftime snack. You know, some people will get oranges or something to uh, get their potassium up or whatnot. But mm-hmm. I had a bowl of frosted Cheerios and uh, and a Dos Equis. So that, that tells you, I think, where I'm at right now. Whatever you got to do, ladies and gentlemen, to take the edge off. We understand. We're here for you. In fact, today it's all about exercising those demons. It's a show dedicated almost completely to the Mile High Mailbag, and we're going to get to it. Uh, but first, please understand that Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, whether they're winning or whether they're losing. And we need your help. We need you to take some time each and every week, especially if you haven't done it, to rate the show, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Log in, you know, leave a creative review. Really helps us to grow, really helps us to reach new listeners. So if you haven't done that, just take a second and help us out. Also, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, and, of course, Mile High Huddle on Twitter and Facebook. We're taking time each week to, uh, while we're doing the podcast, we're also doing Facebook Lives twice a week. So make sure you're following us there. We got uh, five straight losses. I mean, we're going to, Will and I, we're going to commiserate with you today. Oh, yes. A lot of things are are changing. I mean, who knows what how this thing's going to end up seven weeks from now and make sure you're subscribing you're just you're not going to want to miss a single episode before we get to the nitty-gritty we want to first say thank you to our sponsor audible everybody make sure you take the opportunity to get a free audiobook download along with a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up there's over 180,000 different titles to choose from uh, whether iphone android kindle or even just an mp3 player Again, that's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. 
You guys know, those of you loyal listeners, uh, that this is a, an app that I use on a daily basis because I'm a voracious reader. And as busy as I am, I don't always have time to sit down and turn those pages. And Audible offers me the opportunity to get the books in that I want to read. And they do it in a fun, creative way, very engaging. So I can be at the gym, I can be in my commute, I can be in the kitchen or in the yard and, uh, you know, multitask. So take advantage of the opportunity to get a free book. comes with that 30-day free trial. If you don't like it, you can cancel. But if you do try it, you're going to love it. You're not going to want to cancel. And then you can send us in a tweet or an email saying thanks for turning you on to Audible. Also, again, great way to help support the show. Allows us to continue to bring this, this these episodes to you twice a week. So audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, let's, uh, let's get to the nightmare that was Denver's fifth consecutive loss, 41 to 16, to the evil empire itself, the New England Patriots. And this is one of those games, Will, after, you know, four previous consecutive losses that I'm kind of at a loss. I don't even know really where to start with this thing. For as long as I've covered the Broncos, I mean, there's been some ups, there's been some downs, but I've never quite dealt with a team as off-kilter, as down and out, as difficult to, you know, put your thumb on what's going on as this yeah. one. I, I just, you know, the last few weeks it just feels like we're a broken record going over the same themes, the same issues – so that's why I feel like it's time to engage the listener, see what you guys want to talk about. But what were some of your uh, immediate gut reactions from last night, Will? Well, I, it is a little bit depressing because I think everybody came into this game thinking that we were going to lose pretty handily, a little bit similar to what happened last week in Philadelphia. And the Broncos did not disappoint. <laughs> they just played poorly. Um, they they committed a lot of those same atrocities that have mm. um, put them on this five-game skid, like like muffing punts and, and and turning the ball over and stuff like that. So it's really, it's not a mystery why they've lost five games in a row. Um, it's just a it's just a mystery like how this happens so quickly and how how do they, you know, dig themselves out if they do. Right. Let's talk about some of those atrocities as you so aptly described them. <laughs> I mean, the Broncos' defense, after getting embarrassed in Philadelphia, they come out strong, man. They they force a three and out, two runs and a pass by the New England Patriots. They get Tom Brady off the field, and left-footed punter comes on, boom, in the air. Yeah. Isaiah McKenzie, fifth fumble of the season. Fifth fumble, he muffs it, of course, Patriots recover. They're in the end zone two plays later, and the Broncos – after a great start defensively, are already down seven points. Broncos get the ball back, and to Osweiler and company's credit, they drive down, they stall in the red zone, but at least they get points, give the defense a little bit of a break. And on the ensuing kickoff, good Lord, yet another kick uh, slash or punt return for a score. And it didn't stop there. Then you had the blocked punt later on. I mean, special teams is so off the rails. And that's yep. the problem with this team right now. I've been talking about it on the blog. I've been talking about it on social. And you've heard us talk about it here over and over again. The Broncos are not playing complimentary football. And if, you know, you got one unit that sucked early on, which was the offense. Now they're finally carrying at least some of their own water. And then you got the defense going off the rails, giving up seven consecutive scoring drives. And, and special teams just absolutely unraveling. Yeah, uh, I find myself yearning for the days of Joe DiCamillis. Um, I don't know if you're watching that 
that Chargers Jaguars instant classic no. on Sunday afternoon, but I, I heard Joe DeCamillis's name mentioned, and that was that was a name that I have not heard in mm. in many years. To quote uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> but ah, man, it it's so disappointing to. I think you and I were both like really really high on Brock Oliva when he. Yeah. when he was hired back in January just because he was such an electric personality and he's such a likable guy and he's just like I know everybody wants him like everybody basically wants his head on a swivel uh, or on a stake I should say yep. um, after last night but you know you, you have to give coaches a year well, at the least thing, the thing that's so frustrating about getting it so wrong with Olivo is yeah I mean he's a great interview he's like the most charismatic passionate coach speak you've ever heard at the podium but this is not a guy without pedigree. Yes, he's a first-time special teams coordinator. He's a first-time coordinator. But this is a guy who was the, the number one assistant to the best special teams coordinator in the yeah. NFL in Dave Tobe. So it's not like there was no precedent in terms of the expectation that this guy was at least going to be able to do his job. Yeah, and you know, looking back at it, you have to wonder whether – the Broncos, and I, I don't want to. I don't know how much I want to get into this, just because I don't think it's fair to Vance Joseph after what nine games now. Um, but mm-hmm. you have to think about the big what if, and it's you know what if the Broncos had gone with Dave Tobe, who they're really high on, who you know Kansas City got back, and you know looking at the way Kansas City has performed, performed as a whole, and how Tyree Kill is playing, and just how their special teams function so well for yet another year. You have to imagine that he's going to get another crack at a head coaching job. Oh yeah, and, and I think you know maybe Brock Olivo just wasn't ready or, or what. See Kyle Shanahan even yesterday. Like I know it's a weird comparison to make because I think the the 49ers are now one and nine, but that team looks like it has direction and. And they, they went out and made a big splash at the trade deadline and got Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, mm-hmm. even the guys that they did draft, like C.J. Beathard looks like a real quarterback. And, you know, they're building – they've got good direction. They've got, you know, guys on the defensive line. They've got young players. And they look like they have a bright future, even if it's not looking so great right now. And they won their first game. But it, it's hard to say that things look more optimistic for a one-in-nine right. team in, in the Bay Area. But, you know, they, they – <laughs> I don't know if I'd I'd rather be a 49ers fan than a Broncos fan right now. Maybe well, I would. I mean, right now, what you have is like literally an organizational failure at the at the smallest level, like the detail level. Everything the Broncos are just getting it all wrong. Like you can you can look at the offense failing to punch it in on those first three scoring drives. You know, if they even get one of those converted to a touchdown, who knows how it could have changed the complexion of the game? I mean, it was good to get points but they needed scores. Again, after the game, Vance Joseph talked about it. It's a breakdown of the details. They're not coaching the details, and the players are not executing on a detail level. Go to special teams with the different uh, coverage lapses and and uh, the block punt where it's a, it's a terrible block by, if I recall right, I'm pretty sure that was Jamal Carter, the undrafted rookie safety from Miami that let that, that dude through. You go to the defensive side. I mean, Joe Woods... I mean, this yeah. is a guy whom the Broncos felt comfortable and confident letting Wade Phillips leave because there was such a high demand for, for Woods' services around the league. They were afraid they were going to lose him, and he was the guy they had in mind to be the heir apparent at defensive coordinator. He's learning the hard way that there's a big difference between the film room, between the sideline, and actually calling plays in-game and scheming. I mean, 
I could probably count on one hand how many times the Broncos blitzed Tom Brady yesterday. And obviously, there were plenty of opportunities to do it. I mean, the Patriots ran, let me just pull up these numbers really quick. Passing, they had 28, or excuse me, 37 attempts to 29 rushes. Now, that's a pretty balanced attack, honestly, yeah. uh, especially considering they put up 41 points. But the Broncos had plenty of opportunity to dial up some blitzes, even though the Patriots in Denver's defense, well, it's not really a defense, but on the flip side, I should say, they were converting a lot of first and second downs. I mean, if you look at the, their third down tries, let me pull that up real quick. Third down, you know, they went four for 11, which is not a great percentage, um, but they didn't have a lot of third downs. They were converting, right. they, they were getting 10, 15 plays on first and second down consistently. So, you know, there's not as many opportunities to dial up the blitz, but Joe Woods needs to change it up, dude. And that's, again, I, I'm going down this road because it's a lack of detail. And that's one thing that I've heard Vance Joseph talk about, uh, whether it was Sunday night after the game or Monday uh, after he'd had time to watch the film, have the meetings, et cetera, is on a detail level, the coaches are missing so much. And the players, of course, it trickles down uh, downhill to the players. These guys are like a ship lost at sea at this point. And getting back to Dave Tobe and what could have been, I mean, Dave Tobe is a very – he comes from the Andy Reid uh, coaching tree, very detail-oriented coaches. And, you know, it takes more than that. There's a lot more to coaching than just, you know, fundamentals and covering the basics and situational football and all that. But we're seeing how when you lose sight, when you lose focus of even the simple things like getting – you know, making sure your substitutions are on time, making sure you're communicating when those substitutions are going to come so that you don't catch 12 men on the field, making sure you do, in fact, in the red zone, have all 11 defenders on the field. Little things like this that, you know, you take for granted, the Broncos are missing. And, it, I mean, unfortunately, it, it all goes back to Vance Joseph and then his coaching staff. And right now, I just don't think, Will, that this staff, I mean, Mike McCoy, Bill Musgrave, these are very – uh, tenured, experienced uh, coordinators and, and assistants, but Vance Joseph, Joe Woods, Brock Olivo, all three coaching respectively in positions for the first time in their career, I don't think they have the wherewithal to really change the course of this season. It's going to have to be a, a work in progress that they learn over time from their mistakes. It has. This is going to be, unfortunately, and that's whether or not, we'll talk more about this when we get to the mailbag, but whether or not John Elway has the patience to allow Vance Joseph to learn this thing through trial and error, but it's looking like that's the only way he's going to learn. Yeah, I mean, you have to expect, I mean, growing pains. I don't know if, if that's the, the right word for a, a five-game losing streak after starting three and one, but these are growing pains. And we have to remember that, that Vance Joseph is a first time head coach and he, he was really only a defensive coordinator for one year. So, you know, I don't know if he necessarily knew entirely what he was getting into, but he, he has to, you know, take a little time and, and feel it out. And, you know, I, I've said, we talked about it last week. Like he, you have to give your head coach two weeks or sorry, two years, more than right. two weeks. I, I feel like some people uh, on Twitter want to give him only two weeks, but <laughs> well, we'll um, get to that. Yeah, uh, plenty of gold to be mined there. But um, no, you have to give them two years because otherwise you become the Cleveland Browns or, yep. you know, the Buffalo Bills or, you know, one of these franchises that just won't even sniff the playoffs for 10 years because there's no stability in there and there's no there's no growth and there's no direction. You're starting over every year. So 
I don't think John Elway is that guy. I think there are some exceptions like Josh McDaniels where he's just such a cancer to the organization and he, he trades away your star quarterback. But Vance Joseph's not that guy. No. I think Vance Joseph is infinitely more likable than Josh McDaniels. He hasn't he hasn't, you know, torn apart uh the heart and soul of this organization, you know. Like everything about the Broncos is still is still there. Um, it's just that you know they're not putting it together right now. And Derek Wolf, who was really emotional in his mm-hmm. post game conference, yeah. said you know the issue is not in preparation. Like they're preparing really hard. They're working and, their ass off. Yep. Yeah, and that doesn't sound like you know a coach that doesn't have uh, confidence, the vote of confidence from his locker room. It just sounds like they're mystified why they're not executing, and I, I guess I am too a little bit. What did you think of Brock Osweiler yesterday? I thought he was fine. Um, he got put in a hole really quickly, so it's hard to dig your way out of that, especially with the Patriots who they love to make you one-dimensional. But I, I think he did a, a pretty nice job. And yep. um, his best pass of the game was probably drilling that guy on the sideline <laughs> um, if that's where he was aiming because that was a perfect shot. But, no, he had a really good rapport, I thought, with Emmanuel Sanders. Um, and he always did kind of going favorite target back to that 2015 season. Yep. Yeah. And he kind of looked like Brock from 2015 last, last night. So I, I was pretty encouraged. What do you think? I thought, uh, he was the, you know, he was probably the best overall player on the field. On, he was, uh, he was the Sunday best, night. he was the best Brock for the Broncos last night. I'll say that. Definitely the best Brock. I mean, let's look at some of the advanced data that pro football focus sent me. Obviously this isn't advanced, but he went 18 to 33 for 221 yards one touchdown and that interception late playing basically yeah. throw it around the yard ball in garbage time. Now, here's where it gets advanced. Osweiler's adjusted completion percentage. Now, what that is, it accounts for drop passes, throwaways, spiked balls, batted passes, or passes where the quarterback was hit while he threw the ball. So his adjusted completion percentage was 70%. And then he had three passes dropped. He threw away two balls and then was had one hit as it was thrown, which Demarius Thomas, of course, miraculously caught. But here's what I thought was interesting, and this was something that plagued the Broncos' offense for the last few weeks of, of Trevor Simeon's tenure, was his penchant for holding on to the ball too long and just being skittish and shell-shocked and you know making a, a not-so-good offensive line look even worse. Brock yeah. Osweiler has improved in that area significantly. He, before Monday Night Football, so this doesn't count the quarterbacks going Monday night, but his time to throw... Uh, was 2.4 seconds, which was the third fastest among quarterbacks for the week. So overall, I thought Brock Osweiler, and really, you know, measuring it in incremental, you know, portions, if you will, the Broncos offense has looked better the last two weeks. Now, it hasn't been good enough like it would be, for example, in a Peyton Manning's prime where he could overcome the weaknesses and cover so many holes of a roster. Osweiler hasn't been transcendent in that sense. Um, and, you know, who's to say he even has that in him? I, I doubt he has that in him at this point. But regardless, I think the offense has improved incrementally. And if they could get back to playing some form of complementary football where all three phases are playing at least in a sense where they're not allowing big plays on defense, they're not turning the ball over on special teams or allowing big plays, this is a team that can win, you know, 20 to 24 point type games this is a team that can be right there but the defense unfortunately where this thing really goes off the rails and what's most discouraging to me 
is how the defense has really unraveled over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they've just, to me, they've yep. lost confidence. They've lost their focus. They've lost their heart in a sense. But getting back to Osweiler, I mean, he's starting again this week. He's going to start against the Bengals. And honestly, uh, I'm starting to wonder if we're ever going to see Paxton Lynch, whether the Broncos lose each and every game the remainder of this season, because this guy went from a, yeah, he sprained the AC joint in his throwing shoulder, yeah, probably going to be about two weeks to, nah, probably going to be six to eight weeks. Now here we are going into week 11 of the season, and Vance Joseph on Monday, Will, he would not even say that we might see Lynch at any point this season. He wouldn't confirm, uh, which to me, I mean, we'll talk about the implications maybe when we get to the to the mailbag a little bit, but bottom yeah. line, what I'm getting at is we're going to be seeing Brock Osweiler I think not just in Cincinnati. I think the Broncos are going to actually win in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm not going to wait till Friday. Not in Cincinnati, but against Cincinnati. I think the Broncos are going to win this game at home, and we'll see what happens from there, but that's going to buy Brock Osweiler even more time. Yeah, I mean, after Vance Joseph was non-committal last night to saying if Brock would start last week, I assumed that meant that, that they were going to go to Paxton Lynch. Um, so I'm a little surprised, but um, I, I think – there's no reason if he really isn't healthy yet, and you and I don't know because we're not, you know, in the the training room, and we don't know what it really looks like, and we don't know really what it's like to take a hit with that type of injury. Right. So there's really no reason on a three and six team to to play a guy who's not 100% healthy yet. So I think from a long-term perspective, and this is, <laughs> and that's kind of weird to say given that Paxton Lynch is at the tail end of his second year in the NFL yeah. uh, saying like, don't play him yet. But if he's not healthy, don't play him. Uh, that's not going to make him better. Well, and especially when the quarterback's at least playing solid football. Now, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll grant you that at a certain point when this season literally mathematically has eliminated the Broncos from any playoff contention, no matter what you think you have in Osweiler, at a certain point, you have to put him on the sideline and see what you have in the rook or not the rookie, but the young quarterback with whom you invested a first-round pick. At a certain point, right. uh, they have to, if this season, once they get mathematically eliminated, they have to see what they have in Paxton Lynch because you go into the offseason and you. this is the one thing. I mean, we can talk about coaching. We can talk about you know locker room refs and other holes on the roster, but arguably the biggest issue holding this team back is a – tier one type quarterback you know and until we until and I think John Elway in that same sense this season especially with how far off the rails it's gone whether it's the draft my gut tells me it won't be it'll be free agency either way or a trade he's going to focus on making a big splash at quarterback and in order for them to be able to do that with all the information or as much information as they possibly can they got to have the data on Lynch beyond two and a half games yeah, I mean, you, you really do have to, you know, get a little more intel and and see how he how he does when he's you know given the job for you know, a decent stretch of time because he was handed the starting job. Well, not handed the starting job, but he, he was told he was going to start twice last year, and it's weird kind of going in as a spot starter in the NFL. I think that's kind of a a much different situation um, than knowing that you've got you know the last six weeks of the season to, right. to play quarterback. So I'd like to see how he performs under those, under those circumstances. So, you know, it, it's, he's still a mystery right now. I, I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't put him on the field until year three, but at this point, like 
you know Osweiler is not as adequate as he was last night, and he right. played a good game. You know you're not auditioning him to be the future of the franchise. Not at the you have time. to upgrade. Yeah, you have to upgrade, or you have to know that. All right, Paxton Lynch uh, looked good in the last six games. We're comfortable going to him, and you know that might not be the case because they, they probably um, this is you know this is a coaching staff that gave him a shot to win the job in, in the preseason and in training camp. Yeah, by all accounts, um, the the scales were tipped in his favor. Oh yeah, big time. And he, yeah, and he just couldn't do it. And yep. he like I understand that you want to see what he's got, but we did see what he what he had in not only the last two games that he played in 2016, but you know, for four games um until he got hurt in the preseason and he he didn't look very good. Well, that's that's why for me <clears throat> it shouldn't have been the type of situation where he was given uh, you know, uh, all the, the the deck stacked in his favor type thing in an open competition. I mean, as a first-round pick, I mean, let's face it, these guys aren't playing behind a legendary quarterback like Peyton Manning, like Brock right. had to do for four years. The, the Broncos really missed the boat, and clearly the last two years have been a, uh, really a wasted opportunity, but they really missed the boat of following the same suit that pretty much every NFL team in the history of the NFL has done, with very few exceptions with their first-round quarterbacks, for better or for worse, which is, you know what, Jameis Winston – you're our quarterback. We'll bring in, you know, some uh, some fail-safe veteran to, you know, make sure if you go down or suck it up bad enough, we got someone to step in. They already have that on the roster in Trevor Simeon. But guess what, Jameis? This is your team. Don't worry about open competitions. This is your team. Locker room, hey, everybody listen up. You know what? Here's a team meeting. This is our quarterback. We're going to rally around him for come hell or high water. Let's move forward. Let's rock this thing. That's what NFL teams do. For, now it doesn't always work yeah. out. It doesn't always work out. But the Broncos fooled themselves two years in a row because they had just won a Super Bowl under the perception that they did it ugly. They did it by defense. Peyton Manning was, you know, uh, basically a contributor, not the reason why they won the Super Bowl. And so they thought, well, we're just one middle of the road quarterback away from winning it all again. They fooled themselves in 2016. To their, to their detriment, they fooled themselves again this year in the same sense when rather, even if Paxton Lynch, over the, if they would have started him from the get-go, even if he was a failure up to this point, at least they knew, they would know what they have in him. And as such, they're again, even if he plays in the next six weeks, let's say he starts all remaining games after Cincinnati, and even if he sucks it up, let's say he's absolutely terrible, they still really don't know for sure what they have in, in this first-round quarterback because all of the events have conspired against him. And again, they go into another offseason without really knowing what they have, and they have to look elsewhere. And there goes – I mean, here's the bottom line, guys. Let me just break this down for you. Paxton Lynch is, is done in Denver. He's never going to be anything because John Elway has clearly shown a lack of impatience in developing him the pressure to win now, the belief that they can win now. And that's not going to change. Will, do you think that's going to change coming off of the first losing season since Josh McDaniel's final year? That's not going to change. That's going to up the ante. He's going to go Elway into this offseason with yeah. just, I got to make a splash of quarterback, whether it's Kirk Cousins, whether picking up the phone, doing what you can do to try and get uh, Andrew Luck, or if you can get, uh, A.J. McCarron or trading up to get somebody like Baker Mayfield in the first round because odds are they're they're going to have a top 10 pick. So Ugh. what I'm saying, Paxton Lynch, he's – I'm sorry. I mean, 
Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. And he's just done. So it's a first round pick wasted. And that's been my point through this whole deal is, you know what? If you were benching your first round quarterback for the sake of somebody transcendent in and of itself, then I can understand that. Kind of the same way with Brock Osweiler as a second round pick, another high round pick. I understood why he wasn't playing because you had a legendary quarterback. The Broncos haven't had that the last two years. Yeah. Well, I, I also understand just to kind of, you know, paint the Broncos front office in a better light. Um, I also understand the value of cutting your losses when you still can. And, and that's not to say that they have to get rid of Pax and Lynch because he's obviously a guy you can keep on the roster, um, you know, with the amount of money that he's making, which is not too much right now. But if you have Pax and Lynch and you're, you're not – sure what he is but early returns haven't looked good and you're in a position where you can draft you know let's say the broncos are picking like seventh and they have a shot at i don't know i doubt josh rosen or sam darnold are there but um maybe they have the opportunity to trade up or or they like a guy like baker mayfield or or luke falk or even lamar jackson or someone Mm -hmm. if you have your guy and you like him you gotta go for him yeah, regardless of who's on the roster, and Agreed. and we saw that with um, you know guys like Marcus Mariota, you know people liked a little bit what they saw at Zach Mettenberger year one, and they still said, well, we're picking two for a reason, so we're going to take Marcus Mariota <laughs> because he looked yeah. like I don't know Zach Mettenberger might be good. We're yeah. not sure yet. Like the book isn't closed on him, but we know Marcus Mariota is going to be good. And that worked out pretty well. And and go to, you know, the other team that you mentioned earlier, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. They had a guy in Mike Glennon uh, on their team who – third after, rounder. Yeah. After a couple of years looked like, all right, they're not winning. Uh, and he split time with Josh McCown. But uh, in the games that he did play, he looked pretty decent. And this looks like a guy that we, we could potentially do something with. But we're also sitting at the at the top of the draft, and there's this For guy out of Florida. Yeah, there's this guy out of Florida State who looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we'll just take him and take the um, you know the superstar commodity that that has fallen into our lap. So yep. I, I don't think that you would you know ignore any better options just because you have Pax and Lynch on your roster. But yeah, it's a little bit of a conundrum. But you know you got to. <laughs> it's a problem. At some point, you kind of have to cut your losses, I think. I think they trade him, honestly. I think what happens is this season ends, Elway's you know, bent for making a big splash, whether it's free agency or the draft. Again, I think it's going to be more free agency. But Paxton Lynch is the leftover baggage, and I think they try and unload him to somebody like Arizona for a fifth or sixth round conditional pick or so. And, you know, any value, mid-round value they can get for a former first rounder who only yeah. has two and a half starts. You can you can sell that on a to another general manager that look, this guy still has untapped potential. We just aren't our team is not set up right now to go through the ups and downs of a rookie or a, you know, inexperienced quarterback. We've done that for the last two years 
and we're t- we've taken a different tack. We've got our quarterback, and I'm giving you the opportunity to get a first-round caliber quarterback for a fifth-round pick. There are GMs out there who uh-huh. want to do that. I mean, it, it, and that's what I think is eventually going to happen, no matter where it is. Paxton Lynch, I don't think this time next year is still on the roster, not because he gets cut, but because I think he gets traded. Now, before we get out of here, let's take a few questions. I know we were planning on doing a lot more he- high and heavy on the uh, mailbag, but we kind of. We kind of got caught up in a conversation, and that's never a bad thing on a podcast. But we are your football priests, Will and I. We're here to offer you absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we'll take one from our uh, our friend. We'll start this off with Dylan West. He kind of machine gunned us here with five different questions. Oh, yes. Let me pick one here. Hold on one sec. Here's a good one. What or who are we missing the most? Will, what or who are the Broncos missing the most? I don't know that it's any one entity. Um, <laughs> I, I only say the word, word entity because um, he said what slash who. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that could possibly be like an intangible quality like right. like grit or heart or you know preparation or something like that. Sure. Um, but I, I think to, to put it in like a – the perspective of a player that they're actually missing, I'd say Danny Trevathan, someone like that who, who can cover tight ends a little bit and yeah. cover running backs out of the backfield. Um, like you saw that, like Rex Burkhead and James White both caught touchdowns against the Broncos last night, and, and Danny Trevathan locked down those running backs. Like He locked down James White and Brandon Bolden in that AFC Championship game a couple years ago, so they definitely missed him. Um, and, and I think they miss – an interior pass rush. That's so, what I was going to say. If you're looking at it from a yeah. personnel perspective, X's and O's in that sense, they have zero interior pass rush. They rely entirely on their edge. And so quarterbacks and offensive coordinators, they can scheme around that. Yep. But all you have is a is is an edge presence. I mean, it's I mean, that's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's still one of the main cornerstones you have to establish to compete in this league, but if that's all you have, you, you see offensive coordinators scheme around it, and really the only time your edge rushers are going to eat is if you got a lead or you're going against a right tackle in a slump or a left tackle in a slump or you know an injured guy, so in comes Elijah Wilkinson to be the left tackle for a few plays, etc. So I think without an interior pass rush, and I know they were hoping to get that from Adam Gotsis, you know, drafting him in the second round. There's no guarantee he won't eventually become that, but it's looking like his, his skill set – uh, and technique-wise is trending more toward being a, uh, a run defender. And yeah. I just don't think he has – right now I know he doesn't have the technique to be a, an efficient interior pass rusher, and I'm not sure he has the quick twitch type of explosion that Malik Jackson does that right. can get inside and get past guys uh, you know, inside the phone booths per se. Yeah, so think about it logistically. And here's the difference between the defense um, that did so well against Brady uh, in 2015 versus last night's defense – so you have the two guys coming off the edge. This time, though, it's it's Shane Ray and not Demarcus Walker. So or Demarcus Ware, excuse me. But Malik Jackson and then Derek Wolf and even Sylvester Williams, or or if you want to go back even to 2013 when he was a really a really big factor against the Patriots, Terrence Knighton, mm-hmm. who was rushing the quarterback up the middle. So when you're rushing the quarterback right in his face and you're pushing back the center and the two guards, the quarterback has to obviously back up a little bit. And that puts them right in striking distance for guys like Vaughn Miller. Exactly. Now, when there's no, you know, when there's no interior pass rush, and you still got Vaughn Miller, who was honestly not doing, you know, a great job against the 
the backup right tackle for the Patriots because remember they're missing their really talented right tackle Marcus Cannon last night and it was Adrian Waddle who mm-hmm. was really you know I don't know that he was necessarily like locking down Von Miller but he just wasn't the factor and that's because Brady can can really just step up and he did it so well last night and oh yeah it was almost like you know. <laughs> It was like this bizarre world where we don't have quarterbacks. And, and Brock actually did a, a pretty good job of it last night. But quarterbacks that can avoid the outside interior or the exterior rush just by just by shuffling up a, a couple of steps and, you know. Staying poised. L- yeah, letting those edge rushers run themselves out of the play. And that was happening over and over again. But that's not the case if you have an interior pass rush because you're putting yourself into the danger zone if you're backing up. Yep. And it didn't help that Joe Woods was calling a defense that required Von Miller way too often to drop back into coverage. I mean, that's another thing that it just goes back to coaching. You talk about what's missing. What are we missing the most? What, who are we missing? Coaching right now, this coaching staff is in in themselves, you know, whether it's a lack of experience, a lack of wherewithal, lack of knowledge, I'm not sure. But they are in a slump themselves. And it affects the players on the field. It's like Derek Wolf said in that expletive-filled uh, interview with Vic Lombardi after the game. He said, you know what? You'll have to ask the coaches. All I can do is go out and play my assignment and play as hard as I can till the bitter end. Now, moving on, let's go on here. Uh, I mean, we can talk briefly about this. I don't want to get too far into it. This is, this is more in uh, Nick and Carl's wheelhouse. But what's a quarterback pool like for next year's draft? That comes from... Arlie uh, D on Facebook you know it depends on I think who ends up actually declaring but why don't we just assume for the sake of this conversation that both Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen are going to be in the draft just for just for uh, the sake of the conversation you got USC quarterback you got the UCLA quarterback you got Baker Mayfield really at this point from Oklahoma rising up draft boards. There was a recent post on Mile High Huddle that was kind of a comprehensive look, both in the draft and free agency, uh, at some of the options at quarterback this coming season in 2018. I advise you uh, to go check that out. But, I mean, it's it's solid. I don't think there's anyone at this point, Will, in the quarterback pool that has really set themselves apart as, in, at least in my mind, that is like Andrew Luck caliber. Um, yeah you know, the next stud over the next 10 years. But, I mean, it's a solid class. The Broncos, if they choose to go that route in terms of going back to the well, I mean, they're going to have some options there. Yeah, I mean, if you had asked this question um, after the Rose Bowl last year, you would have said that, you know, Sam Darnold is far and away the the number one pick. And that was that was kind of the expectation heading into this year, and he still might be. Um, although now the the Browns look like they're in the driver's seat to get that top pick again, yep. um, he might think that uh, hey maybe I'll I'll take a couple more electives in a in a yoga and a bowling <laughs> class at USC and yep. you know to finish out my uh, finish out my degree and, and then see if uh, a more desirable team holds the top spot yep. uh, in a year's time. But you know he's always uh, he's probably my number one. Uh, and this is, you know, not from like a X's and O's scouting, like deep dive, like Carl and Nick, but I watch a lot of Pac-12 football mm-hmm. um, just because I'm on the West Coast and they, they start their games at 7.30. I'm sometimes a bit of a night owl. So I'll watch him and uh, I watch a lot of Luke Falk at Washington State, who I like, although he's a guy that really needs um, 
he really needs a clean pocket. So maybe, maybe not the best fit in Denver currently mm-hmm. speaking. Um, I'm also a fan of Jake Browning at Washington too. People have compared him to Kellen Moore just because uh, Chris Peterson, who's the coach at Washington right now, coached Kellen Moore at Boise State. Yep. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a lazy con- lazy comparison just because I think Browning actually has a much better arm than Moore. And, and Moore is obviously like he's a, he's a pretty decent backup, I think, um, in the NFL. But I, I think Jake Browning's uh, a, a better quality prospect that he's getting credit for so i like all those guys lamar jackson's kind of intriguing um i think he's gotten a lot better as a passer and he's probably a guy that would benefit more from staying an extra year in college and i think you can say that about most of these guys really yeah Um, although i can't fault anybody for for coming out and you know if you have the opportunity to play in the nfl and, and make a lot of money and be or put yourself in a situation where you're financially secure for the rest of your life before you get hurt or something like that i'd never blame anybody but i think generally for quarterbacks it's a good idea um as far as long-term prospects to to stay an extra year and and i think that benefited guys like andrew luck a lot really early who came in and, and made the playoffs three straight years to start his career so yeah. you know we'll see the the free agency pool is kind of interesting uh we don't know exactly how it's going to shape up but it's looking like Kirk cousins is kind of going to be the the crown jewel but what do you think about those guys in free agency I or think, in the trade market too again i think the broncos are going to try and make a big splash at quarterback and i do think the odds show us if you look at what the front office perceives as their model that is free agency find the quarterback and free agency build around that, you know, fill your holes through the draft and and free agency around the quarterback piecemeal. So I think that's going to be their first approach in terms of really swinging with, you know, 100% effort. I think Kirk Cousins is a guy that's going to be at the top of the list, depending on how much money the Broncos are willing to spend. And after two seasons like this and one so bad as uh, 2017, I wouldn't be surprised if they get the green light to totally open up, you know, cut guys like Tlaib, get those contracts off the books and uh, promote some of the younger guys, get get younger at different positions in order to get the most key position that, you know, locked down, which is quarterback. So Kirk Cousins, you know, there's a chance Drew Brees is going to hit. You also have to look at possible trade options. Andrew Luck, depending on his health, depending on Indianapolis's willingness to bargain. There's a lot of drama brewing there that has made the you know the news wire over the last couple of weeks with ownership saying things about their quarterback they probably shouldn't yeah so there might be something there um that you've got as far as trade also there's guys like philip rivers um there's some other guys like teddy bridgewater hitting free agency so there's going to be some options there depending on how aggressive john alley wants to be and i think he's gonna he's gonna really break the bank whatever it takes well, that, that's kind of interesting that you brought that up because there's two teams right now that have two – there might be more than two, but two I'm thinking of that have two starting quality quarterbacks on their active roster. And the first one you mentioned was Andrew Luck um, is currently on IR, so he's not going to see the field um, in 2017. But Jacoby Brissett, who they traded for, and I think they sent like a – or they sent – Philip Dorsett, their their former number one pick. Speaking of cutting cutting your losses on the number one pick, but um, yep. they got Jacoby Brissett, and he 
especially yesterday, and I know they lost, and he doesn't have a very good record, but it's it's the Colts, so I, it's hard to blame him. But he's looked pretty good, and if the Colts aren't going to stick with him and, and they're going to jettison luck, someone else will, will take Brissett off their hands for sure. So I think that's an interesting situation to watch out for. And, you know, I, I think it's similar to Andrew Luck back in 2012. Like, you can you do whatever you can to get that guy. And that was right. kind of the thought process back in 2011 where – it was it was hard for me to watch um, as a freshman in high school watching Andrew Luck like tear through. Uh, I think it was Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl, knowing that the Broncos were going to get the number two pick, <laughs> thinking that he was going to come out that year. Right, so right. I was I was devastated um, thinking that the Panthers were going to end up with Andrew Luck and the Broncos were going to get you know some bum named Vaughn Miller <laughs> instead. Right. So you know, <clears throat> funny how things work out. Like. Yep. Cam Newton's the number one pick. Andrew Luck stays another year at Stanford, ends up going to uh, the Colts of all teams. Yep, um, shocking that uh, you know a Peyton Manning led team would need a quarterback uh, in 2012. So that's how it, it's so unpredictable. But it, if you have an opportunity, and sometimes you know it doesn't matter about the price, right? if you know the guy's going to be good because we judge these huge like blockbuster trades on the returns not the price like if you can get Andrew Luck at you know the Andrew Luck quality that we've been used to seeing when he's on the field um through the first like 5 years of his career there's no price that's too high there there's yep. there's not you know too amount that's that's too much to give if that's the type of quarterback play you're getting so i don't i don't see you know where they say um, if they are negotiating with the Colts or any other team for that matter is negotiating with the Colts, I don't see where they say, well, that's, you know, that's our breaking point. I'll give you two first rounders um, and like a, a second and, and this player, but three first rounders, that's where I draw the line. I don't think that happens. Yeah. And, you know, looking at that, looking at Andrew Luck as a possibility through the sphere of the Broncos, um, we've, we've seen from Elway in the past that he's not adverse to paying a quarterback or giving up a significant making a significant investment let me say it that way for a quarterback with a questionable medical jacket uh mm-hmm. we saw him do it with peyton manning i mean really they invested 40 million guaranteed into peyton manning not really knowing for sure what he was going to be in 2012 and 2013 and is and it came back and you know they were well rewarded for the faith they had and the money they invested with Andrew Luck right now, there's some serious concerns as to whether or not he's really ever going to play again. There's even concerns whether or not he wants to play, but I think he does. He's in Europe right now seeking out some additional treatment. The last report I read, which indicates to me he's searching all possible alternatives to get himself back where he needs to be. So it's questionable. I mean, the 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 Colts might just – I mean, there's been some bad blood established there. They don't have the smartest ownership. They have an owner that likes to lip off in the press and on social media, which oh, also yes. – also led to the deteriorating relationship that he had with Peyton Manning before they finally cut him and some passive-aggressive shots being fired back and forth. So who knows how it could deteriorate even further for Andrew Luck and the Colts by the time uh, teams are able to trade again in 2018. So it's a a situation to keep an eye on, but you're right. Trades are judged by the return teams get, not necessarily what they gave up. So that's something to keep in mind as we go into 2018. Now, moving on to some other questions here. I got a pretty straight-up question for you here from Team Martin on Facebook, Will. Where are the Broncos' tight ends? <laughs> Great question. I don't know the answer. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that they put Jake Butt on IR. 
um, just because I think they're playing it a little too cautious, I thought. Um, and he seemed like um, – and Jake Butt doesn't seem like the kind of guy to ruffle any feathers or, or, or cause a ruckus. But he looked like he was a little disappointed oh, on yeah. social media when he posted about it. I can't blame him. Like I would be too. Well, He's worked the, really, really hard to get back here. And, well, you know, the Broncos he, he got are, shelved for it. Yeah. They're shelving him, as you say, for the season as if they are – putting this guy on IR from a position of strength. Like, oh, we're going to be okay at tight end. And he's suffering a little bit of pain in his knee, recovering from the second ACL. But, you know, I think we're going to be okay. Let's let's give him the time he needs. And that's not to be callous and say that they should ignore, you know, the the medical condition of of these players. But, I mean, they were in a situation, I think, this year from the tight end position where they probably should have been a little bit more amenable to taking a risk with Jake Butt. And to answer that question, T. Martin – I'm sorry, the Broncos tight ends are literally probably the worst unit in the NFL. That's just the way it is. Jeff Hireman on the field, Will? Oh. Slowest tight end I've ever yeah. seen lumber downfield. <laughs> How can you even put that guy in a passing route? Like it's that's that's one question as far as the tight ends. And you see tactically from a scheme perspective what having the right quarterback and and a tight end position involved in the game plan how devastating it can be. And the Broncos, again, that's just another area offensively where they're lacking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeff Hireman, the way he runs, it, it reminds me of like that 400-pound that tight end that was playing in college football a couple years ago. Um, I, I want to say it was for like I – th- I think it was for Baylor. Right. Um, but they had – yeah, they had this like obese tight end. Uh, who was catching passes for them? And Jeff Hireman's in good shape, I think, but he is just not a <laughs> not a fast man. No. And uh, yeah, so Shannon Sharp's not walking through that door. Um, so if you like what you saw in Jake Butt, you know you could kind of apply the same you know theory and use the transitive property to say if you think Pax and Lynch should get the last six games of the year if he's healthy, <laughs> then maybe Jake Butt should have gotten the last eight games yep. of the season assuming that he's good to go and, and given the timeline of his injury and he was injured obviously late in the season like uh it was uh during the yeah during the orange bowl for michigan so late december if i recall yeah you know i want to say you know it's obviously too bad for him but i don't think the broncos end up with jake butt if he doesn't get hurt so i think it's you know obviously a, a travesty for him to get uh his second torn acl of his career there but you know, things work out for a reason, and, and hopefully Denver's the right place for him um, in his career in the NFL. So um, you, you just hope that there's not a huge learning curve in going into the second year because that was the thing with, like, Julius Thomas where they drafted him in the fourth round and kind of the reports out of training camp right away were like, oh, this kid's going to be good. And then they throw him in in week two against Cincinnati back in 2011, and he catches, like, two passes and then gets, gets hurt. hurt. Yeah, and we don't see him again until 2013. Uh, but then, then when he is on the field, he's suddenly this transcendent tight end. Who's you know a top, yeah. probably a top three tight end at the time. So yeah, but that was because they had the quarterback too. I mean, yeah, that's it was, true. It was the perfect storm, and that's another thing too, where we received a couple questions. With obviously, it's looking like the Broncos are going to have a pretty high draft pick this year. What should they do? Depends on free agency, whether or not they get the quarterback they want. If they don't, they need yep. to go back to the well. If they do, I think tight end's got to be high on that list. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I thought that year where they had the lockout, and I think this was the 2011 offseason, they did free agency after the draft. 
and I thought that was a really different way of doing things that allowed teams to to go BPA in the draft. Right. And but then it hurt, kind of, but it hurt the free agents. That's why they don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so NFLPA, they're like, "Hey, you're hurting. Oh, they uh, you're killing us habit. here." Yeah, so yeah, they never go for that. But yeah, from just like a, a team building perspective, it makes right. a lot more sense. But yeah, I guess now you just kind of have to um, assume that you're going to end up with those guys in the draft, and it kind of worked out for the Broncos last year in that they didn't get a left tackle in free agency knowing that they were just going to spend their 20th overall pick on one, and it turned out that they actually got a pretty good one, so it worked yeah. out. But I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> recommend that strategy sure. um, as far as, oh, we have a glaring need at this one position. Uh, let's assume that uh, a very good left tackle will be available to us when we pick in the first round. <laughs> right. um, yeah, generally speaking, I, I would not go that route. But um, I-, I think at this point, you know, the Broncos have their obvious needs. Um, right tackle being one of them. We talked about quarterback. That's going to be a little tougher just because I think the Broncos are going to be picking like probably five to 10, I would assume, um, mm-hmm. uh, unless something really drastic happens. And the good quarterbacks are going to go pretty early. So yeah, the they'll, Brown. They'll have, to, they'll have to trade up if they want to get one yeah. of the guys. So that's going to be tough because I, I don't know. I don't see the Browns, uh, if they've got like Darnold or Josh Rosen. You know, locked in at one. I don't see them giving that up just because who are the Browns to pass up a transcendent quarterback? So right. um, it's an awkward position to be in. So yep. it, it, it's tough. And then you don't know what you have in Jake Butt. Um, maybe he's a, a really good starting tight end, or maybe he's just kind of a, a complimentary player. So you don't know if you spend a you don't want to spend a first round pick on a tight end necessarily. Um, I don't really know about the the tackle class. Hopefully, it's a little bit better than last year because there weren't any. Uh, really upper echelon tight ends that were or tackles I should say that were worthy of uh, of a top 10 pick but maybe now like we talk about it all the time how right tackles might be as valuable or more valuable than left tackles maybe you start drafting guys in the top 15 to play right tackle right you, away you have to you have to in the modern NFL you draft a guy that you'd normally take to be your left tackle to play right tackle and maybe that's something the Broncos consider in free agency going out and getting a you know, tier one, I don't know what it looks like. Honestly, I haven't researched it this year what the tackle free agent class might look like. And you move Garrett Bowles over to the right side or you put that guy on the on the right side. But absolutely, the Broncos have several needs. We know what they are. And um, it's looking like they're going to have the draft capital this time around to really, you know, fill some holes like they haven't been able to do since maybe 2011 in terms of where they're picking at the top of each round. But, you know what, guys, that's all the time we have for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on this show as often as we can. Make sure you're following Mile High Huddle on Facebook. And then look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Bengals game by Thursday morning. And don't forget to subscribe, you guys. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle.